in a sense, we look at woman as a container for transporting and delivering the, the child. All the focus in our culture is on this child to come. We have baby showers, uh, we have gender reveal ceremonies, and then once the baby is born, the focus is all on the baby. I would like to see the focus shift towards the holy state of the mother in this goddess-like, queen-like state that she actually embodies during pregnancy and birth. On the basis of that, making her the center of attention means that she is the queen or the boss of the birthing space. It is not some expert in a white coat that's telling her how to give birth. Her body is intelligent and capable and made to give birth. Welcome to the Campfire Podcast and this episode with Christina Turner on the topic of home birth. Christina is the author of the book Natural Birth, a holistic guide to pregnancy, childbirth and breastfeeding. The book was one of the first to describe the experience of childbirth as an initiatory spiritual experience. Christina holds a master's degree in English literature and the esoteric traditions from the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom. She describes herself as a birth activist and was one of the leaders during the occupation of Sweden's last midwife-led maternity ward when it was being shut down in 2016. And now, a word from our sponsor. The Campfire Podcast is brought to you by the film platform Campfire Stories. To watch our films, please visit campfire-stories.org. Before we dive into my conversation with Christina, I'd like to set the mood with a quote from the Canadian author and poet Stephen Jenkinson. This quote comes from the album Rough Gods. If you're interested in buying the album, something I'd recommend from the bottom of my soul, you can visit Stephen Jenkinson's website for the details. The site is called orphanwisdom.com. I'll leave a link for it in the show notes. All right, people, here we go. We leave a hole when we come here. Then we leave a hole when we go. And then it happens again. And that's life. Now there at the beginning, it's all feminine. That's how wild it is. At first, every one of us is womankind. That's how life begins. For a second, before it breaks in two, it's one, the she of everything. Are mankind's necessary? 
But we aren't inevitable, though. Something has to happen. Something has to change. Has to stop being what it was. If you're born a girl child, you've a rumor swirling that you had a home and you had belonging once. And there's proof there inside you. A rudiment of that old watery house there in your middle. And no matter what comes of it later, still will always be a sign that you came from somewhere. That you belong. That your longing belongs. Maybe let's. Could you help me just set the scene so that people who are listening, uh, where are we? Uh, let's begin there. Where are we? We're uh, in an apartment on Södermalm in Stockholm, where I've been living since the end of uh, October. Södermalm is an island in the capital of Sweden, a very beautiful place with lots of nature right round the corner and lots of interesting, free-thinking people. That's how I see it, anyway. Nice. And your apartment, the first thing that I noticed was that it smelled really good. Oh, now thank I can't you. tell anymore because now I've been in here for a while, so ah, I'll get used to it. Yeah. But it, it has that lavender, well, I yeah. call it lavender smell, but. Uh, Palo Santo and different different sacred herbs, yes. And, and herbs to call in the goddess and the four mothers. So you make these essential oils I here? I do. You make them in the No, apart- I make them in the UK, in the new forest where I used to live. I have a very good friend who is an alchemical herbalist, and she helps me produce the um, essential oils that I need to create products to support people live healthy, sustainable, rich lives. And all with uh, organic herbs, um, spring water from the new forest, uh, everything is ethical, fair trade, sustainable. I've decided not to compromise at all and just do it the way that I really want to do it. May it fail or succeed, I don't mind. I'm happy and it's creative. And as a nice side effect, your apartment smells wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to just jump right in to the sort of core of uh, my mm. inquiry today. Mm. Because um, so Campfire Stories and Campfire the Campfire podcast has a sort of um, holistic approach to uh, inquiring and inspiring towards a world of ecological balance. Mm. Um, and some people might ask themselves, how, how does child uh, birth have anything to do with, mm. say, climate change? Mm. Um, mm. And, and even myself, I'm like, oh, am I like out on a limb here? Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm not. And, and, and I have a feeling that I'm not. But I also have a feeling that you're going to fill in some blanks for me today. Sure. Um, yeah. So maybe can, if we can begin with, uh, or maybe that, that wasn't really mm. a question what I just laid out, but maybe you have a mm. comment before absolutely, I get to the question. Absolutely, absolutely. Because ultimately sustainability is, it's not just about a sustainable outside world. It's about sustainable humans. It's the, it's really the inner shift that is the most important. We can change the outside world and tweak it as much as we like, but it will, in the end, it will just be more of the same. 
the inner transformation and the attitude towards the human body, particularly the female body, is what has led to the explo- exploitation of the great mother, the planet's resources, treating it as a possession for our pleasure and enrichment. So uh, to me, the two are d- intimately uh, connected um, because how we give birth sets a template for the future life of the person giving birth and also for the person being born. And this does not just involve women, it involves all the children of the world that are born. And also, I think one important aspect of re-evaluating our communal living is we, we are going to have to sooner or later to look at the way we treat health and uh, hospital hospital care and, and the pharmaceuticals industry, uh, medicines, um, and so on. Uh, although it's like you say, it is a sensitive subject. And whenever I suggest this connection with climate change and sustainability, people tend to react quite strongly and say, oh, but for God's sake, leave leave childbirth out of it. As if there's any time <laughs> women have a right to hospitals and healthcare, it's during childbirth. Absolutely. But the point is how our healthcare services are structured in an unhealthy way. And it is not sustainable, not for the human beings involved and not for society as a whole. Mm. All right. And... Uh, so another angle to this um, sort of intro would be um, something that I thought about now in, in preparation for this talk of ours, is what do you think the connection is between the manner in which we're, we're welcomed into this world and our subsequent life? Like, is there a connection? Definitely, because uh, attachment, attachment to your parent sets the template for your ability to attach in healthy ways in future relationships, whether they be with your workplace, with your external environment, with future partners, with your children. And the attachment that is formed during pregnancy in the womb And during the experience of childbirth, which has so many naturally built in and evolved mechanisms for creating your emotional and and spiritual life, um, this is absolutely key to uh, the future human being and how 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 you will live your life and whether you will have a healthy bond with your parents is determined by factors such as what kind of oxytocin you're getting, whether you're getting the endogenously produced oxytocin. That's Sorry, what's oxytocin? Oxytocin <laughs> is the it's the bonding hormone. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so that's specifically about attachment, about healthy relationships and attachment. So oxytocin is a central hormone for childbirth that's produced in your brain and that communicates with your womb to create contractions in a call and response Mm. system that's individual for each person. Each child in the womb and each mother has their own unique dance Mm. of of birth. And it's also, oxytocin is also the hormone that floods your body, brain, uh, your your whole being when you're in love, when you orgasm, during touch, during massage. Mm. And it's the, the, the hormone that helps us connect with other people and form strong sustainable bonds with human beings and the world around us so mm. so i think the way we are born sets the tone the starting point 
for the rest of the human being's life. And if you are born in violence, essentially, you know, if you're pulled out uh, with the ventus, you know, the suction mechanism they use in hospitals or, or, or forceps like tongs or in cesarean or through a woman who, who tears uncontrollably because of the conditions in the hospital and all the interventions. This is a trauma for everyone. And I'm not at all for a second saying that this is unavoidable in all cases. Mm. In some cases, this is the salvation. But in the majority of cases today, in the way we live in the West, these situations have been created by the healthcare system itself. Because childbirth is not an illness. It's not a pathological event that needs to be rescued. Women's bodies are not defective and they don't need to be rescued from birth. The vast majority, it's about 80% of women are healthy when they go into birth. And they basically don't benefit from the way the system is now. In fact, they are injured by it. And so this violence, this abuse that often takes place in connection with birth, both of the woman, the child, but I also the father or the partner who has to witness this and then gaslight themselves into believing that what actually took place was a rescue, they were saved. Uh, this We have this modern myth about the hospital and obstetrics as, as the salvation. The story I hear again and again is, well, if I wouldn't have given birth in hospital, both me and my baby would have died. But if you actually look about the research evidence and at the research evidence, and this is another link with climate change, if we are actually going to continue to rely on the scientific model, we must look at what the research evidence actually says. And the World Health Organization now has stated clearly that the main concern for Western uh, obstetric medicine and, and childbirth maternity services is over-intervention, over-medicalization. It creates many more problems than it solves. Mm. And obstetric violence is endemic in the West. We just don't think of it as violence or abuse. We think of it as the hospital saving us. Mm. So this is the intervention cascade that leads to these situations. So this, to me, is, is obviously going to um, affect all those human beings around the child being born for the rest of their lives, how they are born, how you are born matters. It's the monumental one-off experience of you coming into the world. And for your parents, they are born as parents and one of the absolute highlights of their lives and how that occurs and the kind of support and care we put in place around these human beings going through this huge transition will definitely affect how they live out the rest of their lives, whether they are cowed, broken, and defensive, or whether they are empowered, trusting their bodies, trusting nature, and trusting science. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's my view. And so in, in your view, what, um, what are the benefits to, uh, because you advocate for home birthing, home birthing, is that the correct term? Yes, yes, absolutely. Home birth. Yes, I advocate for it as a choice for those who want it. I'm not against hospital birth or obstetrics or maternity wards. What I uh, promote is the right care to the right people, to the right individuals. At the moment in Sweden, one of the reasons why I moved to Sweden in October is because 
Sweden is often held up as a paragon of modern feminism, equality, uh, very high research uh, standards, uh, evidence-based care and so on. But in fact, it is one of the most medicalized. It tends to follow the US, which is extremely medicalized in terms of, of, of childbirth provision. Uh, so one of the reasons I moved here was because I feel that here I can I can make more of a difference and more is needed here in terms of um, promoting a, a healthier attitude towards birth. So it's not necessarily that I'm I'm just pro home birth. It's not quite that simple. It never is, is it? There are cases where hospital and obstetrics and cesareans and even uh, forceps and uh, uh, cutting the woman open even, brutal as it sounds, is the right thing. And it does save lives. And it's wonderful. And thank you. Thank God is for all the obstetricians who do this difficult training and know how to save these lives. But it's the overuse of these things that are the problem. And it's the lack of choice. So in Sweden, there's, an, to me, an absolutely unrepresentative and unbecoming lack of choice for women in a country that supposedly, supposedly calls itself feminist and advanced, there is basically no choice. When they shut down the last midwife-led clinic in Sweden, Bebe Sofia, it was called, it was in the center of Stockholm, where, you know, you get your own room, you get a bathtub, you get one-to-one -one care, someone who basically supports you emotionally to do it yourself, which is also the healthiest way of doing it, you get the least birth injuries that way. They shut that down, Uh, claiming that it wasn't safe enough because there is an exaggerated focus on just the mortality figures. But I, I'm not, I'm not, I won't go into that. That's a sideline. But anyway, so I, I, I initiated the occupation of, of that maternity ward in 2016. And we occupied it. There were thousands of us who were there and occupied it for a week to try and highlight now the last possible choice is removed from women and the only place for women the only place you, you can give birth is in a uh, emergency services hospital ward in, in in a very large centralized hospital because this is efficient mm. you see this is the efficiency culture ba basically based on manufacturing and the car industry of creating these workflows you know in order for sweden to maintain its so-called great figures of having enough spaces available for women they have to rely now on uh, induction of birth which is the artificial starting of birth mm. if you allow birth to start in its own time and take the time it needs in the circumstances given uh, they won't have enough spaces so a woman is given a certain number of hours to labor and then you they'll tell her Oh, your contractions are too weak. I'm sorry, dear. We're going to have to induce you. Her contractions aren't too weak at all. Her body is responding normally to the environment mm. and they need the space. They need the bed space. So they have to rush her along and hurry her along. And there, that's one of the places where the intervention cascade starts. So the intervention cascade is one intervention leads to another intervention leads to another intervention. And this is what causes the birth injuries and the obstetric violence that the World Health Organization is now highlighting. So could you set the scene maybe for, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, an ideal birth? Or, mm. or like, uh, can you 
Yeah. Mm. Can you paint me a picture? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I can. But of course, that, this is only my perspective because the your ideal birth, I'm speaking to the to a listener, is, that's yours. Mm. You know what you need. Whatever makes you feel safe, loved, calm, and secure, those are the optimal conditions for your birth because that's where your own endogenous oxytocin is produced. So if we look at animals, what they tend to do, they tend to withdraw and go to a quiet place where they will not be disturbed and um, they will not be attacked by predators, read <laughs> someone coming knocking on the door saying, oh, I need to check how open you are. I need to measure your cervix, whatever. <laughs> uh, so so we treat and we actually treat animals better than we do humans in birth because there's a lot of legislation around what you're allowed to do in terms of animal husbandry and animal care. You're not allowed to disturb them in the way that we do uh, women. So the ideal conditions for birth, I, I actually a better a better metaphor is, what gets the baby in gets the baby out. So what kind of circumstances do you need to have great sex? You need to feel safe, private, relaxed. Um, you need to feel touched um, on your own with your partner. Those are the things that produce the oxytocin of orgasm, and that is very similar. It's very similar. If we were to treat uh, sex in the way we treat birth, it'd be very hard. Very few people would actually be able to get it on. <laughs> With, you know, people watching, interfering, check. How, let, let me just check how hard you are. Oh, oh, you're not quite hard enough. I'm so sorry. We're going to have to give you some Viagra because you can't quite do this yourself. Do you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring up in such a... Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, difficult to digest way. But I think it's it's probably the most illustrative mm. because it makes it clear how interfering in the wrong kind of way mm. uh, this the, the uh, approach to childbirth we have today is. So the ideal conditions for birth are safe, beautiful, secure. And this is why home birth is often the right option for those who want it because in your home, you do feel safe. Mm. You know what it feels like when you walk in the door to your own home. It's great to meet other people, great to go out and do interesting things. But when you come home, you're like, oh, I'm home now. Close the door. Mm, my things, my smells, my music. I know, I know I'm familiar with all the sounds. I'm familiar with all the disturbances. If there's a sudden no noise, I know it's that neighbor over there or the cars on the street or whatever. Mm. That's where you can relax and that's where your own hormones and all the substances that collaborate in your beautiful body to make birth happen, that's where they can flow optimally and with the least disruption. And that is also where you get the least interventions and the least injuries. Mm. So it's really about creating conditions for minimizing injuries, unnecessary injuries. Beautiful. Um all right, so I'm 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 stepping into a devil's advocate mode here for a moment. Mm. Um, so let's say uh, I I attended the uh, birth of my daughter mm -hmm. uh, about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, um, and it was she was two weeks uh, over overdue, mm -hmm. and um, and she was kind of comfortable in there. It seemed she mm. she was in no rush to get out. And so um, 
it, it was a very long process. Uh, I t- took about 24 hours mm-hmm. uh, and very, very painful mm-hmm. um, for my wife. And, um, and who was, we had talked about this before and she wanted to, to give birth, mm. give birth vaginally mm. and with no, um, uh, drugs or minimum, mm. like mm. she wanted to do it as natural as possible. Mm. Um, but then, I mean, when we hit like hour 20 mm. or whatever, and it was just so, so, so painful, mm. uh, she was just screaming, basically cool. cut yeah. me open, get uh, this yeah. thing out of me. Yeah. Like she was just screaming. Um, and at that point, they gave her, uh, I don't know the word in English, epi, uh, epidural. Yeah, yeah, yeah epidural. Um, which in her particular case, that really helped, uh, made the pain go mm-hmm, down a little mm-hmm, bit. And, mm-hmm. and from that point mm-hmm. on, I think it was two more hours and then mm-hmm. the baby came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if she had chosen to do this mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. uh, and and obviously then you don't have that option to, to, to call in the mm-hmm. doctor to give the epidural. Um, so what, I guess this is the big thing that mm-hmm. the, the people who criticize home birthing say, that what mm-hmm. if something goes wrong? Absolutely. But, uh, okay. Or if something goes so, even more wrong. The, yeah, this, yeah this, it can happen. And that's yeah. why it's so important to look at the research evidence, what it actually says, what actually does happen when we look at it yeah. objectively. But in any case, I, I would like to know, do you know if your uh, partner was induced? What, why, why did she have to go into hospital if, if the baby because wasn't the, ready? Because the contractions started uh-huh. um, um, at night, 11 o'clock, and yeah. then they weren't that uh, severe. So uh-huh. we went to sleep and then at about four, three or four in the morning, they were really severe. Yeah, And so we went... Um, I mean, actually what we had to do, because we're, it, it's a practical world and we have to mm. take care of some practical things. So we had the the, the twins, the, mm. the mm-hmm. older brothers mm-hmm. of our daughter. Um, so we had to take them to their grandmother and drop them mm. off and then go into the hospital, mm. um, which was right here in Södermalm, by the way. Södra Bebe. Oh, wonderful place. Yeah. And then by the time we got there, the contractions were not as intense and mm, not mm-hmm. as often uh, yeah. or uh, yeah, regular mm-hmm. and so after a little while we were sent back home and then we went back home mm-hmm. and then the contractions became like intensified again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we went back in again and it just seemed like it was rolling but mm-hmm. but it, it but wasn't as soon as she went into hospital it slowed down again I, I suppose you're right yeah mm. I, do, I, do, I, do, I have no interest in criticizing anyone's choices whatsoever, but for the women that are about to give birth in the future, uh, it's knowledge, knowledge of what disrupts birth and what can be done to optimize the conditions for birth are, are key. I mean, epidurals are great. If you can't cope with the pain, then an epidural is great. But what happens then is often that that's, that slows the, um, the, the contractions because you're not having the call and response system between the, your own um, endogenous oxytocin and, and the womb. Uh, so that can cause problems um, of its own. And I mean, but I mean, every instance is different and unique and... It is not for me to to comment really on an individual case because you can't. And you always do the very best you can in the circumstances. And Sodra Bibi is a wonderful place to give birth. 
but what I, what I would say is just that um, water birth at home is a wonderful way of uh, generating as much oxytocin as you can in the home because you're constantly touching yourself with the water. It's warm. You're resting in the water. You are more weightless. And also you are private. That's one of the things I really loved about water birth is that mm. no one can really see you from the waist down. Mm. And that really helps your contractions to just continue and not be disrupted. Mm. So, but you see, if you if you want to, if you want to go into hospital, there is a safety. I'm doing quotation marks in my in my with my fingers to illustrate now. There's a safety in that because you feel, well, the doctor is close, the, the hospital is close, the midwives are there. Uh, but there's also a cost, and the cost is the disruption of traveling in. Mm. You're traveling in. You're, your body, at the end of the day, you are a, uh, you know, you're, you're an animal when mm. you're giving birth. You're, a, you're, ju- you're, you're like a, a cat or, a, or an elephant or a giraffe or whatever. And if you put a giraffe in a car... And, and transport it to a, to an unfamiliar environment. It's going to have a cost. It's going to have a a consequence. Mm. And very often, you, the the most natural response uh, that your body has is that it slows down or, or, or halts labor. And you can't be doing this to and fro for an infinite number of times because it's exhausting. You get you get tired. The the pain is difficult to manage. So. In 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 my ideal circumstances, you would find a home birth midwife uh, before you, uh, you know, good many months before you're due, and get to know them and feel comfortable and familiar with them. So it's some because it's relationship based. Mm. Based safe birth is based on a human connection and a human relationship that minimizes the need for interventions. Uh, of all sorts, but it still sounds like that was a, a pretty good birth. I'm, you know, if, if she had an epidural and then and then gave birth, that's wonderful. Congratulations! I'm <laughs> so happy for you. That's not, that's not bad at all. But it's it's obviously um, unfortunate that she had to labour for several days. But you know, birth is challenging. It's yeah. the biggest challenge that you go through. And another thing is that it's an illusion to think that we can m- medicate it away. Like if you just take enough drugs and enough epidurals and whatever, I don't really have to have the experience. I'm trying to minimize the experience. It's an illusion. I'm sorry. The way the way you have to go through it, you need to go through it. And to have your experience is an enriching thing in itself. And I just want to clarify as well that it's there is absolutely no failure or you know sense, sense that you haven't done it the right way if you do need a, an interventions because the way we live today is so upside down because we are so disconnected from all the cosmic cycles from the earth itself our relationship with the with the planet and with nature that we really must not be too hard on ourselves and think that well if if only i was a bit better a bit of a more environmentally friendly person or a bit of a better better woman i would not need these interventions that's an absolute fallacy and i don't uh, subscribe to that at all and at the same time i wish to educate the men and women of the future about what creates the optimal uh, conditions for healthy 
birth. So we have to be able to talk about it, but it does not mean to say that you fail if you if you have to go into hospital or whatever. That's not what it's about at all. I hope I'm making myself yeah, yeah. clear in some way. And I, I don't mean to stay in this uh, devil's advocate mm, mode no, much longer, as but much I, have, as you want. I have one more question that... <clears throat> That I was considering, should I mm. ask this or not? It's mm-hmm. kind of a tough one. Please. So I don't know if you're ready for a tough one. Absolutely. And then we'll leave the Absolutely. that 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 side of it. Um, um, because I'm I'm trying to also see it from the point of view of mm. whatever people who are in charge who say mm. that we should not have a mm. birth because it's mm-hmm. not safe. Mm. So what if? Um, uh, I mean, what if there's even one mortality? Mm. Let's say. Mm. in 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 Sweden or wherever mm. f- um which was caused because uh, something went terribly wrong during mm. a home birth mm. wouldn't that one case uh, disqualify th- all the rest of the cases there are instances where things do go wrong and they do go wrong uh, regardless of place so a lot of things do go wrong in hospital as well but we don't get media attention on that because of the unconscious bias uh, of our civilization, which is a high technology, um, highly industrialized civilization. And that's part of the essential problem why we're doing this podcast, because of the lack of a sustainable approach, including of our collective view of, of childbirth. So that this is why it's so fundamental to look at the evidence base, what the science actually says about where it is safe to give birth. Because a huge number of studies have been conducted over many years, and they've been analyzed in a database called the Cochrane Review, which is available for anyone to look at in meta-analysis, meta-studies that analyze various various places of birth and outcomes um, and the evidence is is crystal clear, which is why, like I said earlier, the World Health Organization supports the reduction of med- over-medicalization of childbirth. The evidence is crystal clear that for healthy women who have already given birth to their first child uh, and in, in, uh, civil, in, in countries and societies where, where they have access to maternity services and can go to checkups and so on to check out their health, There is no difference at all in mortality for either the baby or the mother in terms of place of birth, as long as you give birth with a professional, with a midwife. So giving birth at home for a healthy woman is just as safe as giving birth in hospital. And in fact, I would turn the question on its head. You know, is it it always safest to give birth in hospital? I, I would argue It is not for this majority of women who are healthy, which is about 80% of women, because it is in hospital that they are exposed to the intervention cascade and the resulting birth injuries. Many of them are physical, ruptures and tears and other uh, instrumental injuries, but there are also psychological injuries, such as having experiencing a traumatic birth and not being able to perhaps bond with your baby as easily or to breastfeed as easily because of the disruption of your uh, oxytocin uh, caused by the uh, synthetic oxytocin that interferes with, with that with that process. So 
I really think we need to conduct a fundamental review of the way we look at the female body because subconsciously we all look at the female body during birth as an accident waiting to happen. It's a really dangerous, unpredictable, frightening thing. And it, you need lots of men in white coats to control the process. I'm just, I'm making a caricature, but I'm trying to illustrate a point. This is our subconscious bias. And this, like I mentioned earlier, is connected with our view of the planet and the divine feminine, or rather the absence of a female divinity in our collective unconscious view of the whole cosmic structures. And this is what is what is leading to the over-exploitation of the planet and the the rape of the planet is the rape of woman in a sense that you know there's, there's there are parallels here and that is why i think it is so very important to look at birth if we want to actually make the inner transition that's necessary towards sustainable lives hmm. wow thank you thank you for that um yeah the the so-called uh Western medicine tends to want to omit any uh, spiritual aspects of uh, healing, uh, which is probably fine if we're talking about mending a broken bone. Uh, but but how would you like to see the um, approach differ between uh, the mending of a broken bone and the welcoming of a child into the world? Yeah, I, I really agree with you. It's it's a fundamental rite of passage and a transition between worlds, you know, on an equal footing with death. It's that transition across the field of the unknown from one world into another, which is part of life. But we like to live our lives as if this doesn't really exist and all we have is this surface activity of the material world that passes so quickly with, you know, all our stress and the technology and everything. So I would like to see childbirth honored as the magnificent uh, labor, the heroic labor of the woman producing a new human being in her body and seeing her honored in this goddess-like, queen-like state that she actually embodies during pregnancy and birth, she must, in her own body, play out all parts of creation. I mean, we know from a basic biology that the fetus goes through a number of evolutionary stages in, in the history of all life on Earth. And this is all produced within the, in the womb of, of the woman's body. And she nurtures this with her own blood. And, they, and also the, the baby and the mother, they communicate with each other and exchange substance. Did you know that the baby sends stem cells to repair the woman's body if she has a health problem during pregnancy? Mm -hmm. And that it's the baby itself that initiates labor? Hmm. So the baby is not this passive, uh, unconscious object that we've reduced it to and um, in a sense we look at we look at woman as a container for transporting and delivering the, the child all the focus in our culture is on this child to come we have baby showers uh, we have gender reveal ceremonies and then once the baby is born the focus is all on the baby I would like to see the focus shift 
towards the holy state of the mother when she is undergoing this process of creation and that she is venerated in in a sense that is commensurate with this in the same way that we need to venerate the planet mm. do you can you see the parallels between yeah, the yeah, feminine yeah. the feminine of Uh, uh, the feminine part of the planet. It's not to say that it's all feminine. There's obviously a balance between feminine and masculine in all of creation, but it's it's become fundamentally out of kilter in our civilization, in our times, and it is the suppression of the feminine that is one of the key issues uh, that is causing the climate destruction Mm. Uh, of today, so I would like to see the focus to be more on the woman, and then and and on the basis of that. Making her the center of attention means that she is the queen or the boss of the birthing space. So it is it is not some expert in a white coat that's telling her how to give birth. Her body, as long as it's healthy, is intelligent and capable and made to give birth. It's mm. so obvious, really, when you think about it, you know, millions of years of evolution that have led up to this. And as a little sideline, I can say that I know that many people object, yeah, but giving birth is really dangerous. What about, what is it called? Purpural fever, I think, in English. Um, that's that's started during the, basically when women were put in hospitals uh, after the Enlightenment. During the Enlightenment in the 16th century, 17th century in Europe, Science developed, which is a, a wonderful thing, you know, em empirical science where you observe and and you analyze and, and create statistical models for, for direct observation instead of looking at the world as being divinely inspired and divinely infused. And it's the will of God if a baby dies, or it's the will of God if a baby lives. So you, we, we collectively started looking at the human body in a, in a much more dispassionate way. And this is also when the male Latin-educated doctors took over from the traditional midwives with woman. Midwife means with woman. Mm -hmm. The traditional way of, of caring for women during labor. And so this dispassionate analytical view was applied to a woman in in labor, giving birth. And uh, she, you know, the, this this coincided with women being placed on their back, which means you basically have to work against gravity mm. and it reduces your pelvic space as well. So that's a massive thing. And that this still happens in, hosp happens in hospitals all over the world. Mm. Women are routinely placed on, the, on their back for the convenience of doctors, midwives and nurses to see what's going on mm. when it's actually inhibiting The physiology of birth, just that's just one of many, many things. So anyway, so during this period, you also, uh, doctors would go straight from an autopsy to deliver a woman who'd just given birth. And because we weren't yet familiar collectively with bacterial transmission, path pathogen transmission, Uh, you know, they didn't wash their hands. Mm. So they went from a, an autopsy of a corpse straight to delivering a baby. And this is the Dr. Semmelweis, who uh, was ostracized for saying that doctors should start washing their hands between patients. Mm -hmm. um, so this caused the big outbreaks of puerperal fever or was one of the contributory factors to it that then meant that, oh my God, it's really dangerous to give birth, put women in hospital. And of course, then it spread between women. So you had rows of women lying on their backs trying to give birth against all the odds. Um, 
but yeah, sorry. Can you just remind me? I was I went off on a tangent. Can <laughs> no, you right. bring me back to what I was I'll supposed to you, be talking about? Yeah, I'll bring you. I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, let's try another angle mm. to see where uh, where this will go. So I uh, I interviewed my mother B- before making mm. this interview with you. I had a not an interview, but a talk with my mother uh, where I asked her about my birth and the mm. circumstances thereof. Um, and it was great because uh, it was a chance for me to to know a little bit about the first uh, minutes of and, and hours and days and weeks of my life, which mm. I didn't know much about before. Um, but she, so she gave birth to me in a hospital, which to her was a, um, a safe place because she mm. worked mm. as a nurse. She mm. her whole life mm. she was working as a nurse, so for her to be in the hospital was a safe space. Mm. Uh, and and apparently my coming into the world was not uh, painful or difficult. Mm-hmm. Also, I was the third child, so she'd mm-hmm. had some practice. Um, but one thing that really struck me was that she said, because I asked about the first moments, mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I'm see if I can quote her. She said, the, the, for the first few minutes, the baby doesn't didn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. So uh, because they... they take the baby away, they check and make sure and mm. they, they wipe it down or me in this case. Um, and so, and, and measure and weigh and do those things that, I mean, it seems like that could wait, <laughs> mm. <laughs> the measuring in the way, but that's what happened. And then five minutes later, I was given back to my mother. Mm. Um, so I compare that to when my daughter was born uh, and I was in the room. Oh, she also said that uh, fathers were not welcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my father wasn't there, not because for lack of interest, he just wasn't welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so comparing that to when my daughter was born, <clears throat> uh, I was there the whole the whole time and was there for the for the entirety of the event. And then we also talked about the. Um, we got into talking about when my mother was born. So my mm-hmm. when my mm-hmm. grandmother mm-hmm. gave birth to my mother, mm-hmm. I was curious about what was going on back then. And I don't know if this is indicative of, of all women at the time, but mm-hmm. but apparently she was highly uh, drugged. Yes, or, yes, absolutely. What is that gas that... Uh, Chloroform? Uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what... The, or um, laughing gas, maybe. Nitrous yeah. oxide. Yeah. That's the more modern one, yeah. Which, uh, according to my mother now again, um, it's much more diluted these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still yeah. give it, but it's yeah. much more diluted. But it was heavy back then. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, my mother was, was mm-hmm. born mm-hmm. In, in a very drugged mm-hmm. <laughs> environment. Um, and so looking at... So we can see progress. So mm-hmm. something has happened mm-hmm. between those three mm-hmm. generations mm-hmm. that I'm talking about now, yeah. from my grandmother to my mother mm-hmm. and to my daughter mm-hmm. being born. How would you, and here comes the question, it's not just going to be me talking about my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we see that progress in, in during those three generations. Let's imagine three generations ahead. Mm. Oh, what a lovely <laughs> thing to do. Yes. The vision for the future. Yes. Please. Yes. So in future... We will continue to have hospitals and obstetrics and all the very best of what modern technology and Western science has has been able to uh, produce. But it will not be the only option and it won't be a fundamentally money-driven funnel towards this. Uh, So there will be um, 
in 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 the eco villages of the future, in the small scale sustainable communities. I'm loving this. I'm loving living, this. <laughs> <laughs> where we will be living in a harmonious relationship with each other and with the earth and the planet and all its beings. At the center of each such eco community, there will be a birth house. And this is the place of transition between worlds where the midwives, the midwives of the soul, uh, provide their service to those who want it, women who wish to give birth alone, give birth. And it will be beautiful, harmonious. It's very simple, very little is needed to create this oxytocin-boosting environment that is needed. A safe, a safe place uh, with beautiful colors, some running water, um, a window, maybe a bench. Those are, those are really all the physical needs. The rest is just all about making it cozy, homely, warm, relaxed. There'll be some cushions. There will be a pool of water to rest in and to lounge in. And this is where the majority of women will give birth with the support of a local midwife who is community-based, who has a relationship with the woman and her other family members so that they know each other and trust each other. And she can rest in the knowledge that her birth won't be disrupted and interrupted. So really, I think the key to sustainability is smaller smaller communities uh, because again this is backed up by the evidence the scientific evidence in terms of what's uh, what creates the optimal conditions for childbirth is uh, relationship-based care continuity of care if you know someone it actually makes the health outcome better which you know it's very hard to measure on a productivity or profit scale mm. Uh, these so-called soft values um, are they're a bit elusive for the capitalist productivity model. But uh, in, nowhere is it clearer when it comes to childbirth that actually knowing someone and trusting them boosts your own endogenous oxytocin levels and therefore gives you a, a, a safer, more secure birth. So that's that's my vision for the future. Can I, I, I just have to th throw in something because I remembered something now from, remember I told you about yeah. the, the birth of my daughter, yes, which was yes, a very yes, long yes. process and very difficult. And at the beginning, so they're working in shifts, the midwives and nurses, mm, of course, mm, they have to, mm. <laughs> they have a life, mm, they have to go home. Course, yeah. So in the beginning, we had this wonderful, mm. uh, very warm, um, I don't know if her title was midwife or nurse, but mm -hmm. I'm going to say midwife mm -hmm. for now, mm. um, who, who we really connected with. Mm. Uh, but then after half an hour, mm -hmm. her shift was done, mm -hmm. so she went home. Mm -hmm. And then we had another woman, I mean, mm -hmm. she was fine, mm -hmm. but she was a little bit more business-like mm -hmm. and we didn't connect with her mm -hmm. as much, I don't think. And so she was there for the whole mm. like drawn out, like, I don't know mm. if it was 12 hours or a really long mm. period of time mm. when things didn't really move along. And then this is probably not, but maybe it's part of the mm. equation. Mm. At the, at the, towards the end there, towards the evening when uh, the time <laughs> got mm. closer, the, the lady from the mm. morning came back. It was her shift mm. again. Mm -hmm. And then two hours into her shift, Good, our, our good daughter was born. Heavens. Yeah. Good heavens. 
could you couldn't really not have given a clearer illustration of relationship based care and and how the human body responds to feeling safe and secure and that's not a criticism of the other midwife at all it's it's simply human psychology you know we connect with some people and we feel safe with some people and we are entitled to feel that we're not just units or commodities that are completely replaceable any midwife will do mm. any any person can do the job it, it doesn't work like that it's the same like it's not like you can just have any partner of the opposite sex or same sex or whatever mm. it's not like that it's it's much more we are more sophisticated more intrinsically spiritual beings really mm. um it's just it's been uh, it's been kind of beaten out of us by the that sort of capitalist productivity um, model. But yeah, just to go back to um, what I was saying before that I didn't quite finish, just the importance of the woman being in charge of her own birth and owning the birth space and being the one whose word is what goes in the birth room rather than, you know, being literally placed on her back and other people standing over her and talking over her and deciding what's going to happen to her body, that loss of autonomy is really damaging to, to someone's psychology. And it's a story I hear again and again uh, as a result of the over-medicalization is that women even describe their birth experience as being akin to a rape because, you know, people are penetrating them with uh, fingers, objects, because in hospital you have to stick to routines and procedures because it's a standardized system. So you have to examine the woman with at regular intervals. Every time you do that, you disrupt a natural process. And um, uh, another thing I think is quite important just to illustrate as an aside is the difference between the synthetic oxytocin and the endogenous oxytocin. So the oxytocin that's produced in your own brain floods your brain with the hormone of love, well-being, bonding, connection. It gives you pain relief, calm, and basically drugs you. So, And, and then it also communicates with your womb to create contractions and this dance between... Uh, your brain and your womb is what brings your baby out. Now, in hospital, it, you, you come into hospital, your labor has started, the new environment, all the different smells, sounds, sights, makes your labor stop. They give you a few hours and then they say, no, I'm afraid we're going to have to give you some, we are going to have to induce you. We'll give you some oxytocin. It's identical to your own body's oxytocin, they'll tell you. Mm. Well, it is molecularly identical, but because it's given to you in your arm, uh, or in a drip, it enters your blood blood system and, and gets your womb to contract, but it doesn't enter your brain because of the blood-brain barrier. It cannot enter your brain. So you get none of the beneficial, supportive uh, benefits of, of oxytocin the way your body's intelligence works. You only get the very painful contractions. That's why induction is often much more painful than uh, spontaneously started labor. This is just an illustration. I could give so yeah. many different illustrations, but just to, to show the importance of respecting the human body's functional physiology and hormonal uh, workings. Mm. Wow. All right. Uh, so I have uh, a couple more questions. Uh, I think we should probably begin to think about wrapping this up but uh, there's one thing that 
actually I heard from a shaman uh, that I know, uh, which ju- it sounded like sort of otherworldly, but and which obviously things that shamans say should sound otherworldly, so that's fine. <laughs> but I, I wanted to bring it up with you because it also sounded interesting. He said um, that we routinely cut the umbilical cord way too early and that there's a, a spiritual transformation that is not yet complete and that is lost. Is this wacky talk? What, what's your... What's your view That's on that? absolutely fascinating because uh, I, I can't really elaborate on the on the spiritual side, but I can elaborate on the physiological side. Again, the evidence is crystal clear. Uh, the umbilical cord should be left untouched, not just uncut, but untouched. You shouldn't take any, make any tests or stick any needles into it or even touch it until it is completely white and has stopped pulsating. Because the blood that is in the placenta and the umbilical cord, is that's the baby's blood. Hmm. That's the baby's blood. And what happens in, in many hospitals around the world still today is that as soon as the baby's out, the umbilical cord is cut. Hmm. And up to 30% of the baby's own blood volume can be left outside of the baby. So you're giving your baby a, a, a big uphill struggle to Mm. start with. Now, babies are so very resilient. Babies and mothers are so very resilient that we have so many healthy births, despite all these obstacles placed in our way, I would say. Mm. But uh, most definitely the... um, the, the blood in the placenta and in the umbilical cord is very rich in stem cells, which is another reason why the pharmaceuticals industry and hospitals collaborate in harvesting this blood. So uh, the, the, the blood is taken to keep stem cells for future, the future need of your child. That's what you're told, but it's not just your baby that gets it. This is a very valuable commodity mm. that can be monetized. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I believe parents should be made aware of. The, the, the blood in the placenta and the umbilical cord belongs to your baby. It should be in your baby. Those stem cells should be in your baby. That's where they are needed. How, how long does that take before it, it um, stops pulsating and becomes white? Well, like I said, wait for white because it's individual. Mm. It's but that like varies. Five um, minutes or five hours? Mm, no, not five hours. I mean, I, I just let the just let the placenta come out at it, at its own pace. I mean, in with my births, uh, maybe after an hour, the placenta came out and probably cut the umbilical cord somewhere between. I can't remember. You're in a different place, aren't you? 30 minutes and an hour, between 30 minutes and an hour. Mm. But if if you just if you have a midwife with you who. Uh, first of all, has is familiar with the basic research evidence, which I think should be a minimum requirement if you're a midwife. And secondly, is, is the, the really important thing is to be in tune with the woman and her needs and her family's needs. Just let it take the time it takes. Just observe quietly. And uh, once the umbilical cord has stopped pulsating and is white, then you can cut it happily. I know there are you know people who practice lotus birth and and let let the um, keep the uh, the placenta for a longer time and some some cultures they burn the umbilical cord after a certain number of hours or days even I'm not sure so the spiritual aspects I'm afraid I can't really enlighten you much on but I can <laughs> I can provide a, a physiological perspective yeah. well that's 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 plenty um 
I have one more. We're going to step out of, I don't know if this is out of your comfort zone, but probably out of your area of expertise, because I like to do that sometimes. Uh, so this is sort of, a, we'll see where this goes. Uh, we, You spoke briefly about the relationship between death and birth mm. before. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know. When somebody is coming into the world... Mm. We're trained to sort of see that as a, um, yeah, the sperm meets the egg and then there's a baby and it comes into the world. And it's a very material, materialist way of uh, looking at it. And then the person exits the world 88 years later, perhaps, and the person died. And we don't know exactly what to make of that um, as far as what happens after. What I'm getting at here is mm. what's what's your idea of the the other side of life mm. and birth like mm. where do we come from before we're born and when we exit this place at the end where do we go do we go back to that same place or i know this is impossible <laughs> i know we're, we're way out there but no what a wonderful question <laughs> i've been waiting all my life for people to ask me questions <laughs> like this oh wow well i can tell you um, about the experiences I had when I gave birth myself with my children, because that's exactly where I went. And I believe that is where women go to get their babies. They go to the other side. You need to go right down, down into the deep, dark descent into the unknown to the place where birth meets death. So this is why I think childbirth is such an initiation when it's undisturbed for a woman because she absolutely has to confront the impossibility of the task before her and go through it and transcend and that's when she is born as a mother you know this incredible power that's inherent in the uh, overcoming or the transcendence of this of this very challenging experience um, yeah, so my experience of, of, of giving birth to my own children was that in the absolute fear and abandon of the last moments before the birth, it's like you meet the point of the dying human being. So the the baby that's being born gasping for its first breaths is simultaneously the person dying at the other end of the circle or the point where the serpent bites its own tail the dying gasps of the man at the end of his life are the same as the gasps for air of the baby at the beginning of its life um, so for me, I I almost see, I can't really see beyond the veil, but what I can know from personal experience is that I, as woman, experienced that meeting point during childbirth and transcended briefly into the realm that lies beyond life and death. It's like you get an opportunity to just stick your head outside of the matrix or the veil um, but then you need to return again because you must mother this mm. newborn being. 
So the, I think there, there will always be a mystery and anyone who claims to be able to describe exactly what lies beyond, I would instinctively mistrust them because it, it, it sort of transcends words as well, words and our, our cognitive, culturally determined structures. But the actual experience of profound initiation is available there and open to every woman in childbirth. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for being on the Campfire podcast. It was my pleasure. Healthy birth, healthy earth. I'd like to express my deep gratitude to the Namaste Foundation, which supports Campfire Stories and the Campfire Podcast. I'd also like to acknowledge our beautiful Patreon supporters, including our top donors, Camelia Freiberg, Franziska Kaufmann, Stellan Christiansson, Nicole Alger, and Mariama Kamara. Thank you. <laughs>